Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today's guest, Paul Wilson, says confidence doesn't have to come first. You can practice, be a doer at what you're passionate about, and that builds confidence. Paul, welcome. I love your radio voice. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I've been listening to your podcast for the past couple of days, and wow, I am really impressed with all of the different people that you've connected to. I really enjoy it. Thank you. I I love doing it. I mean, there were three reasons why I started it. The first one was the, the hope that at least one person could say, oh my God, she's been there and come through it. That means I can get through it. That was the first reason. Second reason, you know, Rena, a podcast is a brilliant piece of marketing material. And the third reason, and the most selfish one, which I'm happy to admit, without the podcast, I wouldn't have met the 80, no, 90, 93 or 94 amazing people and had those incredible conversations with them. And you started with a bang. Your first guest right out the gate is so good. So let people know the name of your podcast, just for context here. Happy Head Podcast, absolutely. And how did you come up with that name? It's the name of my website. We actually wanted, I wanted Happy Head, but somebody in Japan or China had got that already. They weren't using it. So I thought, okay, I still want the phrase Happy Head. And I kind of like, you know, the real Happy Head, the best Happy Head. No, 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 no. A Happy Head. Because that's what everybody wants, that everybody chases, that's what everybody dreams about, is having a happy head, being happy most of the time. And I thought, that's it. And so the podcast, when I decided, people have been pushing me for years to start a podcast, now I'm just lazy. It's too much like hard work, where do I find the guests, blah, 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 blah. And then I just thought, you know what, a happy head podcast, it's got to, it fits, it stands out. And it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Talk to me about the whole process for you of all of what goes into it, because it is a lot. And I think that people don't really realize the whole process. The biggest challenge for me, Rena, is finding guests with a great story. I have to be honest and say, I've had a few people on there who kind of don't really have a story. So I've had to kind of like tease something out. The best guests are the people like my very first guest. You know, this lady was told 17, 80 years ago, you're going to die in five years time. That's it. We don't know why, we don't know how, you're going to die. And she went, screw you, I ain't had, that's not happening. And she went through with her life and now she's an author of got three, four, five different books. She's travels the world international speaker you know one of my guests are oh, absolutely incredibly the south african woman she was raped and beaten left for dead by somebody who she worked with this guy was caught and sent to prison she left 
South Africa to go and work in a different country. About nine years later, she returned to South Africa. Now in South Africa, during parole hearings, the victim has a right to attend the parole hearing and say something should she or he desire. She just coincidentally, she kind of arrived, flew back into South Africa, got the letter, we're having this guy's parole hearing. She went to the parole hearing, the judge said, you got a thing to say, madam. She stood up and she looked at this guy right in the face. She went, I forgive you. This guy had done these horrible things to her nine years ago. And she had the balls and the power and the courage to stand up and genuinely, honestly, not a, not a scheme or a scam or a flippant thing. I forgive you. The power behind that is just phenomenal. If that had happened to me, I would have wanted to rip the guy to shreds and buried him in some far forgotten place. But no, no, this woman stood up, I forget. That is so powerful. And that is the joy I get from meeting people like this that share these incredible Incredible stories. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, really, really scary to even face the person, but then forgiving him on top of that. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. The bravery to actually go to the parole hearing in a prison Whoa. and then to actually stand up and face the guy face to face and say that. It's just so powerful. So incredible. Yeah. When you hear stories like that, what does that do for you? It makes me realize that in proportion to the, some of the stuff that I've heard, my crap is smaller than that small if i could put my two fingers together and still maintain a gap that's how big my crap is compared to some of the stories that i've heard another story an american lady first name phoenix in one abusive relationship leaves that one falls straight into another abusive relationship we kind of giggled about you know making the same mistake over and over it got so bad that one day while he was out at work she grabbed her two kids and literally a grocery shopping bag of stuff and nothing else and walked out 15 16 years later her kids are grown up she travels the world she's running three businesses from her laptop yeah it's truly remarkable where people have come from and where they can go some people really do not accept the cards that were dealt to them and i love those stories too this is so important we choose whether to be victims or to get on with our life and do shit that's the thing and there are so many people that i've met that have chosen the victim mode if that fits the bill for them fine I, I i get it but the power from the mainly women that i've spoken to that have gone through such experiences and come out the other side and been able to laugh about it another lady she had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage i think it was about 16 or 17 miscarriages she what? had before oh she carried a baby to term we sat there giggling during this conversation because yeah she said look i'm not giggling about this that was really difficult and upsetting but I've got a kid gorgeous and I love my life and I created this and she created a business off the back of having to go through all that stuff and it's a beautiful business as well and she's such a light pleasant fabulous person to chat to she doesn't have this like big cloud behind her of oh my god I've gone through all this shit and my life is horrible no she's ditched it got rid of it and she's moving forward with her life she shares the story to let other people know that you know you too can get through this kind of stuff and that's why I do the podcast. It's, you know, and that's the most difficult thing, finding people with stories like that, that they, that they want to share. Yeah. How have you found the ones that have been the best? That's interesting. Some people I've just kind of bumped into on the internet and we've got talking and, oh, my story is blah, blah, blah. I just come out in conversation. The vast majority have come from a couple of groups on Facebook, which are specifically for connecting kind of people. And the first time I did it, it just made me smile. This was back in October, 2020. This is kind of when I first started doing the podcast. I put a message 
message in this group saying, I, I'm looking for guests. You've got to have a story to tell, blah, 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 blah. And the, the, the thing just went ballistic. Boom, 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 boom. And then somebody copied that into Jay Shetty's coaching group. He's teaching, he does coaching training now. And somebody posted that. So I got this second blast of newly qualified Jay Shetty coaches. And that was a challenge because a lot of them didn't really have a story to tell. And so I kind of having to like wade through. And it was, it was an interesting situation because I think I booked somewhere around 85 to 90 15, 15 minute calls just to see if there was a connection. 10 of those didn't even show up. And I find that really bizarre because I'm not saying you must contact me. This is like, you want to get on a podcast as a guest, let's have a chat. And they book it and then they disappear and don't rebook. Out of people that did book, I had about five that had booked a podcast recording with me that didn't show up. Yeah, that so is this odd. is why I find it challenging to find really juicy guests, really good guests to have on the show. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me what you're focused on right now. What is a day in the life of you? Oh, right. I've just finished a five day challenge, sort of mindset shift, be more you 22. This was the third time that I've run it and it's kind of had different iterations. The first time I ran it as a, a four week challenge over 28, over the about 33 days, roughly speaking, very, very small numbers of people, but they got such tremendous benefits from being in the group. And some of them I'm still kind of in connection with now. This was back in 2020. I ran one last year, which was a five day one and again lots of great feedback so i just really enjoy doing now ideally people will book a call with me they'll become clients but that doesn't always happen and to a certain extent and this is completely contrary to a good business sense i don't care I get to help people for a week and I get some really good feedback and that helps me. So the next one I, I do will be even better than this last one. So that's been keeping me busy. What else am I doing? I'm also working with, I'm not allowed to name names, but I'm booking calls for a very, very top level coach slash consultant because that helps me become a better call booker for my own business. But I also get to learn from this person because of how they run their business as well. So that's another thing that I'm doing. That's really interesting. How did that partnership come about? Guess what? I asked. Ooh, imagine that. I, I know, it's really peculiar actually asking. <laughs> There are too many people that are waiting for opportunities to go smack them on the head. Well, yeah, that happens occasionally, but most opportunities happen when you're out there with your binoculars or telescope or whatever, looking for them. And you're connecting with people and talking to people. Like you mentioned a few minutes ago, Rena, I get people, and it works both ways, that have heard my podcast and say, can I come on your show? But there are other podcasters that have heard guests on my show, and now I kind of, it makes me smile. I see on my Facebook, on my Instagram, Miss X is inviting Mr. B. I went, ooh, you, you, and the list of guests kind of mirrors my list of guests. And I think that's brilliant. See, I'm like means... that. I listened to three episodes on your show and I loved all three of the guests and I connected with, or I sent connection requests to all three of them. Will they all be on my show immediately? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I've got guests booked for the next couple of months, so they would have to be patient as far as waiting a little bit, but I loved their stories, loved the way they told them, loved their vibe. I was getting ready to connect with you. So thought maybe they might be interested in hearing this. Yeah. So I reached out. Why not? That's a whole point. I mean, again, I, I don't resent that. I don't, cause some people get really funny about this kind of stuff. Why? People want to be podcast guests to tell their story and to let people know how they can help them. Great. The more the merrier. You know, I, I really love encouraging kind of indirectly this 
expanding network. I think it's brilliant. Here's an example of that too. Recently, I had a lady on my show who does EFT tapping. She offered to my Facebook group and my community to do it for, you know, four or five women that might be interested in the session. And then they all enjoyed it. I tried it. I actually thought that I might air those private EFT sessions, but they were a little bit too private. So I chose not to, but then she said, Hey, you know, the new year's approaching people are having all of these blocks, money, money, mindset, stress. How about I'll do a group session? And if people want to share in a group, I'd be open to doing little hot seats for people. So I did that. And I invited people from all of my social media platforms and somebody ended up becoming her client. I actually like that. I was like, wow, I connected two people that I didn't plan on any business happening from it. And it worked. I was like, that's amazing. Like, I love that. It's incredible. I mean, I don't know whether you believe in the universal consciousness and all that kind of stuff, but when you put stuff out there, stuff comes back to you. Whereas if you try and block stuff, you end up blocking yourself, which is wrong. Why block yourself? Simply because, well, I had this guest on my show. And that's my guest. And I'm not sharing my guest with anybody. That's ridiculous. The guest has come on your show because they've got a story to share. End of. If you think about social media, what is the, the point that social media, why does social media exist? It exists to connect people. It's as simple as that. It can. It doesn't exist to make business. It doesn't exist for sharing cat memes. It exists to connect people. And whatever method you do that, doesn't really matter. Whether it is by cat memes or doing podcasts or putting out quotes and stuff like that, it's all about connection. Speaking of connection, you've been alone during the whole pandemic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Live alone. Yeah. What has that right. experience been like? It was a challenge because I think I mentioned during the podcast, I'd kind of get my peopling in by going to coffee shops and that kind of thing. Well, during the pandemic here, particularly during 2020, everything was closed pretty much from March through to the back end of the year, pretty much. And that was really difficult for me because I wasn't seeing, I mean, I was seeing people on Zoom, but I wasn't in the energy, the space of another human being for such a long time. And that, I like being alone i like my own my i can make a mess and there's nobody there to, to shout at me oh you've left your stuff there and i can do the dishes when i want to do the dishes, all that kind of stuff yeah but i still need that physical human connection of being in the same space as other people and so when that happened that was really really tough really challenging and i had to make sure that i did things so that didn't bring me down absolutely what things did you choose to do? Get out and walk the podcast, spend lots and lots of times talking to people online, helping people out when I could, doing challenges, oh, the whole range of things. Listening to podcasts, reading more. I taught myself how to read the tarot during 2020, learned some other skills as well. So I just deliberately kept myself busy. Interesting. Yeah. How did the tarot thing come into play? I've always had a fascination with the mind, with mystery, with mesmerism, with neuroscience, with how everything is interconnected. Like a very simple thing. You cannot destroy energy, matter. You cannot destroy matter. It just reforms like us. I'm here now. Yeah. You can hear me. You can see me. You can feel me. When I die, regardless of whether I'm cremated or buried underground, the energy that is me doesn't get destroyed. It goes out into the ether and gets recreated as a plant or part of a mountain or a blade of grass. I've got no idea. So we're all connected. And this is why I find things like racism and bigotry and all that kind of stuff. I just find it incomprehensible because you are me and I am you. 
and we live on this tiny insignificant rock at the back end of a tiny little galaxy in the middle of nowhere not the it's not in like think give me the name of the Champs Elysees is one of the most famous streets in Paris yeah our galaxy is not in the universal Champs Elysees it's a backwater we are so lucky to be here we are so privileged to be alive I think somebody once said I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk each individual person has about a 17 trillion chance of being born as me and as you because of all the sperm and the eggs and the timing all that kind of stuff yeah one in 17 trillion that's an incomprehensible number and yet people just want to throw their life away sitting and you know watching tv and eating cheetos all day long and be miserable now i get it we all have difficult times and difficult circumstances and difficult situation but there's a famous persian saying which goes like this this too shall pass this too shall pass every situation we find ourselves in is temporary good bad and indifferent and when you see your life like that you can just see yourself that you're in a transition period that this is it this is it as far as we know we don't get a second or third or fourth life this is not a, a buy one get one free this is not a try before you buy this is not give me seven dollars and give me 150 dollars in 30 days this is it this is it so you may as well screw the most juice you possibly can out of life because at the end of it that's it done dusted you get converted in some other form of energy but life as a human being for me and for you is temporary there are ways of communicating yes it's not ideal it's not perfect but it's better than sitting there feeling lonely have you had periods though where you did sit and feel that way because i heard you talk about having depression oh i had depression for a large part of my life and i have this is a way, way, way in the past now. So it's nothing to worry about. I've tried to kill myself three times. Yeah. So I've what? been there. I know what, yeah. Oh my God. What got you there? Do you remember the old Acme cartoons? Yes. So we've got the, the hero running along, being chased by the bad guy or the villain. Hero reaches into their pocket, gets out the Acme black hole, throws it onto the ground. Bad guy comes along, falls into the hole, disappears. Hero picks up the black hole, sticks it in their pocket and carries on walking. My depression was that black hole. It would start off as a period on a, a sheet of paper in my mind, and then it would get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the usual kind of thing, feelings of low self-worth, not deserving to be here, all that stuff I've just been talking about. And it got to such a stage where I would curl up on the sofa, not talk to anybody, not eat and all that kind of stuff. And then you get to feeling so low and so worthless. You ask yourself, you know, why should I be here? What's the point? Why should I carry on? And, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Then you, you make your mind up to, to do it because you just you can't find a way out. You can't see the light. When did that start? Oh, when I was a kid, I think. I mean, I've kind of got rid of a lot of my childhood memories now, but I think the first time was, I don't know, when I was about 14 or 15, I bought one of these really stupid knives. It was like the big ornate pommel, all that kind of crap, yeah? And held it, got it, bought it, got into my bedroom, held it against my stomach, and I was trying to shove it in because I'd seen a, a Harry Carey movie, a Japanese samurai and all that, and I'm trying to shove it in, and it goes in literally like about, know, about a millimetre, really, really tiny amount, and it hurts like like crazy and so my brain goes this is way too painful we ain't gonna do that and so i threw the knife away just kind of this sounds bizarre but doing that was a kind of a kick to get me moving again like you know with old-fashioned cars you could kind of crank them to get them going that's kind of what happened i'm guessing because i mean i wasn't an expert at the time that's what kind of oh god that hurts i don't want to do that again and so you know <laughs> that was it the next time so let's say about 20 years had passed there'd been episodes in between that first attempt and 20 years later 
later but because you know, I'm a teenager I'm traveling I'm doing lots of things the episodes are kind of short and sweet so there's no build-up yeah whereas in 93 there's a massive build-up again failing stuff feelings of low self-worth bloody 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 blah the second time I, this this one makes me laugh it's one of the funniest episodes of attempted suicide ever there's a James Bond movie and I can't remember which one it is it's with Sean Connery and right at the start Sean does his thing he goes to this like oil refiner which is really a base for the bad guys kills all the bad guys blows up the base goes to a bar and he's like you know he's doing his thing at the bar having a bit of a drink gorgeous girl goes hey James come back to my place so James goes back to, to his place little does he know he's been set up because there's a massive great big gorilla ready to kill him fight ensues James and because the girl's been in the bath so there's a bath there it's really important so James is big guy kind of scrapping away and this big guy is going to get James because he's just overpowering so James is looking at what to do. This he hits this guy. The guy falls into a bath. James picks up one of those old-fashioned fans, chucks it at this guy in the bath, and gets electrocuted and die. So I went, okay. It's in, in the movie. It's instantaneous. I don't want pain remember so I thought, okay that's what I'm gonna do that's how I'm gonna kill myself so I make sure that my girlfriend's out and you know all the rest of it I get in the bath I've got a massive ghetto blaster you know like a CD player and tapes and all that kind of thing I plug it in get in the bath you know a couple of brandies all this kind of stuff turn it on playing some music pick it up drop it into the bath it goes fizz 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 and it dies and I'm anything right and I'm sitting there well I'm lying there in the bath thinking oh god what am I going to do now I've just damaged destroyed a very expensive music player nothing's happened and I put this so I put my hand on the side of the bath to climb out the bath step onto the floor and I get that old mighty shock which kind of throws me across the room and bangs my head what I hadn't realized and of course they hadn't showed you in the movie is that in most countries around the world baths particularly cast iron baths are earthed to avoid accidents like this, which is why in the bathroom, you have a pool switch for your electric light. I didn't so of know course, all of this. Whoa. I didn't. I didn't know either. It's only kind of when I try to figure out what that, why, why am I not dead? Because James Bond killed the bad guy. And then I see that, so I'm getting out of the bath. I'm trying to figure out what just happened. Then I kind of look underneath the bath and I see the little bit of wiring that kind of connects the bath to earth. And I'm sitting there just going, oh, God, an idiot and i have to come up with some really brilliant excuse to my girlfriend as to why i've just destroyed this very expensive music player and again that kind of the stupidity of that kicks me out of the the, the dumb feelings and what have you and then about i don't know a year later let's you know, let's just say a year later for argument's sake i'm in a really bad place i'm in a really bad way and I, this time it's just like it's really really bad I'm in a really dark place. I, I can't go to work. I, I feel really useless. I just don't want to talk. People, friends have come around to try and talk me out of it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just not having it. I'm in a really bad place. So my girlfriend's gone across town. She won't be back until like midnight because she's got a late meeting, all this kind of stuff. So I think you're right. Okay, this is it. I've collected a bucket full of antidepressants and all kinds of tablets. Yeah. And a, a bottle of brandy. So she goes off. I make sure she's gone. So I sit there and I start chugging brandy, hand full of tablets brandy and i'm doing this until i kind of fall back into the bed unconscious i wouldn't be here right now if my girlfriend at the time got to her office and was told that the meeting had been cancelled and that the other meeting should be cancelled. so she said oh, i might as well go home then so she turned around came home found me unconscious called in ambulance i was rushed to hospital and then the only thing i can remember is i'm in a corridor not in a ward i'm in a corridor on a gurney and they've injected something into me and i'm howling like a wolf it comes in waves Ow! 
like this and then this wave of agony this wave of pain would i couldn't that was the only way i could release it was by screeching like an owl and then i kind of go flat and then and this happened all night long some specialists came to see me the next morning and in the uk there's you can be sectioned which means basically kind of arrested for your own protection and sent to a mental institution for your own protection okay and they said look we can section you but we don't want to do that because that's like a, a bad mark on your record kind of thing if that makes sense but we really want you to go to this place so okay fine let's go to this place so i enter this place so it's 93 smoking in buildings is still allowed and all the rest of it i like going to this building i'm asthmatic and i don't smoke to actually see where you're going you've got to kind of like cut a hole in the smoke and kind of pull it out to see where you're going i'm told go go find somewhere to sit we'll come and talk to you later on so i go and sit down this place is the tv room is full this corridor is empty and loads of chairs so i'm sitting there in a chair minding my own business now, I didn't know this, but at the time, guys from prison, if they wanted a holiday, would do a bit of self-harming and we'd get sent to this place because it was, you know, a lot more liberal than a prison, a lot more open. You know, this thing walks towards me. It kind of blocks out the light. Guy's massive. He's like the Hulk times two. And it comes right up to, so like, you know, I'm sat in the chair like this and looking up at him like that. He goes, you're sitting in my fucking chair. I'm going, oh, this could be very, very unpleasant. And so I got like, just, you know, I'm really sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. And I get up and I'm going to sit in another chair, thinking that's the end of it. I told you you're sitting in my fucking chair. This happens three or four times and thinking, okay, I'm going to have my head pulled off very painfully, which I don't do pain. What do I do? So the third time he comes over, I went, look, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't realize these are all your chairs. Is there one chair that I could go and sit in, please? And he went, no, but you can go fucking sit over there. And he kind of points to the other end of the room with all these crappy, like, uncomfortable chairs. Okay, fine. So I get up and go and sit in that. And that really scared the bejesus out of me. It really did. So it's night time and they come around, they give us all our meds to put us to sleep and the rest of it. Next morning, as soon as I wake up, I'm banging on the nurse's door or the psychiatrist's door. I go, I've got, I want out. I want, I need to talk to you. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. And we have this long, because just come in. I'm in the guys, the poor guy's frazzled. He's exhausted. He's probably been working an 18 hour shift and all this kind of stuff. I go, look, I had this really horrible experience. I do not, and I'm coughing as well because it's really uncomfortable and he's smoking and I, I, there's no way I'm coming here again. There's no way, and I mean this, I'm not lying. I do not want to come here again. I do, I've got no intention of ever harming myself ever again. And he's looking at me and he can see that I'm telling the truth. He can see something that is no bullshit here. He goes, are you absolutely perfectly sure you don't want to stay here and get help? And I said, look, there is no way I'm going to get help here. And he kind of went, mm, I understand what you think. He didn't say it, but I could see it. He went, okay, I'll sign you out, call somebody to come here. And from that day forward, I have not, so this is what, 30 years? 40 years, hang on, 93 to 03, 03 to 13, 30, so almost 30 years, and I've not tried to kill myself, or even I thought of killing myself in that 30 years time. Yes, there have been periods where things haven't been great, but I've now got a whole range of tactics and hacks and other stuff that I use so that they're like signals, they're like the red flags. So I spot it instantly and I deal with it. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, I wanna know some of those those hacks, some of those tricks. Okay, so the first one is, remember at the very start of this conversation, I said that my depression was like a, a period on a piece of paper. I keep an eye on that very closely. Well, not very closely, I kind of like peripheral vision, just to make sure that it stays. If I see it moving, like expanding, even tiny, tiny, tiny amount, I will take action. And that can be anything from going for a walk, phoning a friend, 
cooking a meal, going for a pint, doing some push-ups, anything that takes me out of my current state into a different state. Mm. And something else that I didn't consider is that when a person commits suicide, they're not really hurting themselves. They are hurting every single person in their sphere. One story you hear from people who have unfortunately had to go through the experience of dealing with the death of someone through suicide is, is guilt. Why didn't I see anything? Why didn't I spend another five minutes with him? Why didn't I call him? Why did I have that argument? Why this, why that, why other? And that's torture. I understand why people feel they've got to take their lives. I understand that, but it's such an act of selfishness in a certain sense, because we don't, when you're in that space, you don't think of anybody else. All you think about is how bad things are for you. And we're not able to kind of think about other people's circumstances, which is why now one of my tactics is to think about, okay, look, if that happened, you wouldn't have met Rena. You wouldn't have met Shiggy. Tori, you wouldn't have met Tori. I wouldn't have met Shiggy. You know, I wouldn't have saved those two lives. I wouldn't have saved that person. I wouldn't have been able to help all the people that I've done with my coaching, my hypnotherapy. And I start to think about all the things I wouldn't have experienced if I had succeeded in 1993. That's another tip and a hack and a, a thing. The list is endless. Yeah, I want to talk about the lives that you've saved. That's amazing. It must give you real purpose. Not in the way I think you mean. For example, one occasion I can think of, and it's just bizarre. We talk about the, the sheep mentality. Me and my girlfriend are walking on the seafront in this town further across the coast of the UK. And it's really, really stormy weather. The waves are kicking up high and the place is deserted. But we look up ahead of us, and there's this group of people standing there pointing out. And I'm guessing oh, maybe there's a whale that's stranded or a boat that's getting smashed. Because people like like they've got that, the, that goggle eye look. So we kind of want, there's no urgency. We, we wander up and I look to my left in between this gap and I see there's a guy in the water desperately holding on to a, a young kid. And so my guess, and, and I'm going, what's going on? And you know, kid fell in, guys got in to help him. And I can see they're all standing there. So I go, right, you go and phone, because there's no mobile phones in run down to that phone, call 999, tell them all to get here. So that person runs off. You go to that life boy, grab that life boy, bring it here. You lot get in a line. They needed a stimulus so that he ran off. He ran off to get the, the line. I got them all lined up. I said, right, you hold on to this. Chuck the life boy into the water. I shout it out. Give it to the kid first. We hope we, we pulled the kid in together, got the kid out of the way, threw it out again and pulled the guy in. The ambulance arrived, no police arrived and I, and I walked off. What? You just walked off? Yeah, I've done my job. It's like a lot of these videos you see on social media that really piss me off. Like when I'm so gracious, I'm going to give this person $500 to buy a new pair of shoes. Look at all these poor people. I'm going to buy them pizza. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's generous to do that, but you're not doing it for the right reasons. So I didn't do what I did to get a medal or to be given a certificate. My thinking was, shit, if that was me, I'd want somebody here to take charge and get things sorted out. So I put myself in the place of that guy in the water who's struggling mm. with hypothermia and he's going to drown at some instant. And so once once we'd hoiked the guy out and I said, right, take your coat off, give it to him, you know, rub his back and all that kind of stuff until the ambulance comes along, my job was done. And we just carried on walking, went and had something to eat. My dad is going to love that story and definitely resonate with that. I am actually curious about how your parents responded to the suicide attempts. Well, they didn't know. The first one was a kid, I didn't tell anybody. The second one, I didn't tell anybody because that was a really embarrassing one. <laughs> The third one, I didn't tell them, but I'm guessing my girlfriend may have told them. And again, people don't know how to respond. 
Oh, guilt, that's interesting. Shame, mm-hmm. guilt, shame. You know, because I'm the black sheep of the family, not being close to my family for a long, 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 long time. And so I, we just didn't talk to each other. Nothing happened, but just the way the world is sometimes, isn't it? Why do you feel like the black sheep? Because I didn't get on with my two sisters, didn't get on with them. And I left home when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16, something like that, and traveled and worked. And because in the UK at the time, that's when you finish school at 15, yeah, unless you went to college. I wasn't brightened to go to college. I, you know, screwed up my academic life. And so I, I started work and then joined the army for a couple of years and went traveling. Wow. What did you learn from that? The army was a joke in the sense of I joined the army to travel and all I saw was bases in the UK. Because at the time there was like Northern Ireland and there was Germany and there was a few of the bits and pieces. And I just got to see the local stuff and I thought this is not for me. And, I, I, and to be all honestly, full disclosure, I'm not a soldier. I wasn't cut out to be a soldier. I wanted to join the Navy because I ships go all over the world and all that kind of stuff. Different girl in every port, all those kind of cliches. But I went into the Navy recruiting place and the guy said, yeah, you look smart, kid. Got any illnesses? I said, well, I'm slightly asthmatic. Oh, that's a real shame. Can't take it. I said, why not? I said, well, during training, we simulate a ship fire where we fill this, you know, pseudo ship with smoke and you've got to get out. So go next door to the army. Went next door to the army. He said, yeah, yeah, we'll have you. Iron is during basic training, what's happening? What happens? They put us into a room, fill it full of CS gas, take your mask off, name, rank, serial number, what's your favorite color? Pass it with flying colors. Really? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so what happened after the army? That's when I traveled. I spent most of the 80s in Europe, summertime by the beaches, winter in ski resorts, you know, ski bum, beach bum, you know, cafes, hotels, painting things, scraping things, knocking things down, building things, pulling things, pushing things, lifting things, every kind of non-skilled job you can imagine I've done. I've worked in bars, I've been a, a waiter, I've washed dishes. I've cleaned cars, I've driven people around, I've done all kinds of stuff. You've done a photo shoot at a pro dominatrix dungeon? Yeah, I have. How did you get there? Oh, that's a story. I met someone who a really, really good friend of mine. You wouldn't know it, but we're having this conversation and she said, you've been to a dungeon. And I'm thinking, you know, Tower of London, torture chamber dungeons, that kind of thing. And I said something along the lines of, no, but it would be really cool to visit one. And she looks at me and she goes, not that kind of dungeon. So Mr. Naive here, who's, what do you mean? Not that, that kind of dungeon. And she kind of tells me what she means. Wow. And I'm thinking from two sides, like from my photography skills side, thinking, wow, the challenges involved in shooting in that kind of environment. And the other side of me is like, Oh, that's interesting. I'm curious. I wonder what happens there. So there was just two sides of me. So she said, we need to have some promo shots done. Are you up for it? Absolutely, I am. Over time, we visited over half a dozen dungeons and shot lots of different scenes. It's really funny. My transition, because again, I used to be very judgmental. I'd be walking down the street and I'd see a large person and I'd go, oh my God, you need to get some exercise. You need to go on a diet. Or I'd see a really miserable looking person. And I'd think to myself, oh, cheer it, mate. It's never going to end, you know. Get over it. Or I see somebody who was begging in the street or wasn't dressed very nicely and I would I would judge them. And then I saw an article or read something about it's in New York. Late at night, a guy sitting in the subway on a subway train, reading his paper, wanting to get home. He's tired, had a bad day. There's nobody else in the carriage apart from this father and his son. And the son's been a real pain in the ass, running him down, shouting and screaming, flicking the guy's newspaper, making lots of noise, being really unpleasant. And the dad's not the dad's just kind of like in a day 
days and the guy is the, the guy reading the newspaper has got steam coming out of his ears and he's going oh this guy get out of his kicks i want to wring the kid's neck and he's getting really angry really frustrated and he goes hey get control of your kid and the guy comes out of his reverie and goes i'm really really sorry i i'm so sorry we've just come back from the hospital and we had to say goodbye to his mum. she died of cancer boom that guy who had complained suddenly changed his perspective. The kid was doing what he was doing because he was upset. He just lost his mother. He was acting out, out of grief, out of rage, out of anger, who knows? And the guy sitting there, dumbfounded, has lost his wife, his best friend, his partner, and he's now got a kid to deal with, and he probably doesn't know how to deal with it. And from that moment onwards, I realized that, you know, I don't know what anybody has gone through, and I have no right to judge anybody if i haven't walked a mile in their moccasins so to quote an old cliche so from that moment onwards i said right no, no judging and if i do catch myself if i do hear myself about to go you should uh, i stop myself and i remind myself that don't judge i'm looking at some of these other topics that you discuss why you don't need confidence to do a thing oh yeah absolutely this is a, a big big humongous myth that you need confidence to do a thing and that's complete garbage it's because i was listening to these talks from people saying you need confidence to do this and you need confidence to do that and you need confidence to do the other and i was thinking do you so i like to look at things from all angles actually you don't you need something else we'll talk about that in a second what i'll do now i'll give you three things that both you and pretty much all the listeners have done in their lifetimes so first of all have you got kids rena four how young what age is to two Wow. Okay, so let's focus on the two-year-old because that's the most recent experience. I'm sure you've seen, let's go back a year, roughly speaking, and your two-year-old is kind of, well, your one-year-old is shuffling around. Is it a boy or a girl? A boy. So he's shuffling around in his bum, you know, looking at the world. And then one day, he kind of crawls over to the sofa, stretches up, grabs the sofa, pulls himself on the sofa and starts doing what I call the sofa walk, you know, hand over hand along the edge of the sofa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now sometimes he falls on his bum, has a bit of a cry, maybe looks around, see if he can get a cuddle off somebody. Oh, it's okay, darling. There, there, there. Then you put him back down on the floor. You go off and do your thing. What's he do? Gets back up again, pulls himself onto the sofa, hand over hand. And then as time passes, we go from the sofa, we stretch, we reach the table and then we go around the table and then we have that day where you're sitting there you and your husband the other kids you minded your own business and this youngest child is sitting in the middle of the floor pushes himself up on his two little wobbly legs goes boom 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 and the whole world goes oh, he's walking he's walking it's amazing it's incredible he's walking let me ask you a question did that child at any stage say I've fallen over that's the 15th time I've fallen over I'm never going to get this walking lock I haven't got the confidence of course not he just knew that he wanted to be like his elder brothers and sisters he wanted to be like mum and dad he wanted to be like all the other two legs around the room he wanted to walk on two legs nothing to do with confidence I want my compelling reason for doing this stuff is I want to be like the other people in this room that's the first example second example we're a little bit older now and we've got a tricycle either one with the pedals on it or the little kind of no pedals we're just pushing along so we have the trike we go around with the other kids in the street having a great time get a little bit older we get a real bike with the stabilizers on and all the other kids real bikes with stabilizers on we're all whizzing around wanting to be like each other whizzing around the the the, the houses having a great time and then around about the same time one of the stabilizers comes off and we're all cycling around like this 
you know, cycling around, leaning onto the one stabilizer, occasionally getting upright, but most of the time like this, just use that one stabilizer to stop us falling over. And we might fall over, we might graze our knee, but does that four-year-old, five-year-old, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old child go, oh God, I haven't got the confidence to ride a bike. They go, oh, I fell over, mum, kiss my knee better. You kiss the knee better, they get back on the bike and off they go. Then comes the day and we take off that last stabilizer and the grown-up has their hands held firmly on your shoulders and you're going get off get off get off get off and you start pedaling like mad you start pedaling like mad and then the parent is leaning forward leaning forward the fingers are loose because they can't keep up they can't keep up and bang the kids off cycling independent and before you know it, you can't even see them and there's a whole gang of kids they're going down to a local park they're going down to a local shop together as a gang why did we do that? Because we wanted to be part of the rest of the group. We wanted our freedom from the tricycle. We wanted to be a big kid. Only little kids have tricycles. Only little kids have stabilizers. All the big kids have just two wheels and go off and do their thing. Freedom and independence. Third time, you get into a car to learn to drive. You haven't got a clue. There's this really great big circular thing and there's levers and there's pedals and there's mirrors and there's, a, there's doors and all this. You don't go, I haven't got the confidence to learn how to drive. You go, oh my God, what is all this stuff? How do I drive? What, 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 what happens first? And so in the UK, it's all um, manual stick shift. Yes, yeah? so that's what I'm going to talk about because automatic is easy. But let's just talk about stick shift. Yeah. So stick shift, you've got to get in the gear right. You've got to get match the clutch and the accelerator. And so the first time you get in the car and the instructor goes, turn it on and you start and you have to restart you stall and you stall and you restart this happens three four five minutes times and then you get a bit further and you drive a bit further you learn how to change gears properly you learn how to do hill starts you learn how to go around corners and over time you learn the skills that you need to drive the car you learn about the highway code you learn how to do with three point turns and all that stuff you need then the day comes where you go and have your test and you pass the test and the tradition of in the uk we have l plates which signify a learner and people tear up their l plates at any time did the person go i haven't got the confidence to drive you may have said i don't know how to drive you may have said, I'm, I'm getting confused all the pedals and stuff but you didn't say i didn't have the confidence why because you wanted the freedom from taxi of mum and dad you wanted to be able to go places on your own. You wanted to be able to go to your mate's house and pick your mates up. You wanted to be able to go and be the individual grown up adult. Confidence had nothing to do with it. Now, the P word, the word, this is where the confidence coaches kind of piss me off a little bit because we don't talk about the P word because this comes before confidence. Because what is the definition of confidence? The definition of confidence is belief in oneself and one's abilities so how can you have confidence in driving a car if you don't know how to drive a car you can't it's not physically possible but the p word are you ready for it practice mm. when you practice something what happens you start to believe in your abilities to do that thing and then you start to have the confidence because you believe you can drive the car you've just passed the test you've got the piece of paper that says you paul wilson can now drive a car on their own and so you get out and you drive and you practice and you practice and you practice and the confidence comes with the practice but without practice you can't have confidence so the best way to build confidence of anything is to practice going live going live on social media is brilliant i love hearing people's scare stories oh i can't go live i can't go live i can't why not all the people oh what people all the people are going to criticize me and this is what i do to get people to understand okay so there are a hundred thousand people who have put their lives on hold for the last 25 years they're doing nothing they're not eating they're not drinking they're not dating not making children not doing anything they're sitting there with their phones waiting for you to go live 
Oh, don't be ridiculous, Paul. That's what you just said. These people, they're sitting there, and the instant you go live, they're going, oh, God, you're awful. You don't deserve to be on TV. Look at your hair. Your hair's a mess. No. When we go live, if you're lucky, your mum might be watching. Your mum's best friend, Budgerigar, might be watching. The next door's cat's best friend might be watching, if you're lucky. And this goes on ad infinitum. Well, I'll make a mistake. Yeah, of course you're going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes. I've done hundreds of bloody lives, but I don't care because this is who you get. You know, there's no fake persona. I'm not trying to be a BBC or a CNN presenter. That's for somebody else. I just want to be me. So yeah, of course I'm going to make mistakes. But guess what? The more I do it, the more practice I get, the more comfortable I get, and the more confident I become. So when I first started doing this, yeah, I would fumble and mumble and stumble my words, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But so what? It's practice, 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 practice. So this way you don't need confidence. You need practice. But the thing is people sell confidence as some kind of magic bullet. You know, take this pill. Okay. You've got confidence now you can do anything. No, you can't. You need to practice. Confidence comes with practice. It's practice first, then confidence, which is why I say you don't need confidence to do a thing. You need practice you need two things you need a compelling reason they need to practice yeah i would definitely agree with that especially i've learned that from podcasting and i saw that you wanted to be on a hundred shows where are you at with that goal i haven't done a figure yet but where are you week about 13 or 14 i'm halfway i need more not bad so i need to pick up the pace a hundred podcasts in a year i mean wow that would yeah, give you some good practice. Yeah, absolutely. Podcasts or guests on people's shows, or I love live events. I haven't done many, but I really do. I guess I'm a showman at heart. I love being in front of an audience and giving them tips and tricks and helping them and showing people how to make their lives more fun and easier. How can you make your life more fun and easier? We can get rid of problems. If that somebody's been held back from doing something because they think they need the confidence to do it, if I share that story or those stories that I've just shared with you, hopefully a person may realize, actually, Paul's right. I don't actually need confidence to become a, a theater performer. I need to practice. I might need to go to drama school. I need to practice. We are all human. Well, most of us are. There's a few people I've got my doubts about, but we are human. And when you are just being you, people resonate with that. I actually love that. But when you try and fake it without giving people the backstory, that's when people go, you know what? I don't really want to watch this guy. He's too fake. I would agree with that. I actually really love that. Is there anything that you learned from your parents or is there anything that you no longer believe that they wanted you to believe? The only thing that I still stumbled with, and it really annoys me, and I've not been able to figure this out yet, is they always said to be respectful to people senior to you like police officers and politicians and all this. I find that really difficult because to me, respect is earned, not owed. So yeah, a police officer has a really difficult job and I get it. And so I am, you know, if I get to talk to a police officer, which I did my old job a lot, I'm polite and respectful and so on and so forth. It annoys me if I'm walking down the street and I see a police officer, I've done nothing wrong. I'm just walking down the street. I see a police officer and I'm thinking, is she looking at me? Have I, have I broken a law in the last? That's ridiculous. But that, that comes from this thing that my parents told me about being respectful. And that respect kind of got built out of all proportion. Or how about no, when you're driving and one's behind you? Oh, that's even worse because you, you, I mean, because I, yeah, I've broken speeding laws and that ages ago, but it's funny. You're driving along, you're, you're minding your own business, and you see a car, a police car in your back, and you go, you always check your speed. You always, am I in the right lane? Yeah, I'm in the right lane. I'm checking my speed. Okay, so why is he still behind me? And then what, what I do is I go, he's going from 
A to B. If they wanted to stop you, they'd flash the lights and the sirens and they'd pull you over. They haven't, so they're probably pissed off that you're driving so slow because they want to get there a bit quicker. So just drive. You know, it's the way it is. Have you been able to work anything out with your parents? Well, my dad died in 2017 and I talked to my mum birthdays and Christmas and that's pretty much it. There's no animosity. Yeah, it's just kind of a Switzerland neutral a neutral state neutral territory we don't hate each other we don't love each other it's, it's just that neutral thing is that enough for you being neutral yeah. my mum my mum's in her mid-80s now and i've not seen my sisters for a long 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 time it's not a weight on my shoulders it's not something i think about it's not a pain in my life oh my god if only this could be better it's, it's not like that how did you get to that oh, it's been like that for a long time Mm. Paul, how can people connect with you and subscribe to your podcast? I'm pretty much on all the social media channels. Uh, Paul Wilson Coaching or some derivative of that. I'm guessing the show notes, you'll put the link. So we'll leave in a happy head. Listen, I'm on Spotify. If you're involved in this Joe Rogan thing, give me a hundred million dollars and I will stay on Spotify. Spotify, Spotify, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, before I go, I've got to say it. I find that whole thing fascinating. Joe Rogan has done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. The world is going batshit crazy because there are two or three that people don't like. The government's involved. We are talking about an entertainer. That's what Joe Rogan is. He doesn't pretend to be anything else. He is an entertainer. What is the government? How come the government has got time to talk about the activities of an entertainer? Why are they not talking about the issues going on in the Ukraine? Why are they not dealing with poverty and famine and the storms and climate change, all the other stuff that needs to be dealt with? But no, 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 no. We need to have a debate about Joe Rogan. That's crazy. Amen. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. I'm with you. Put all his it's, episodes back up. Yeah. Oh, why did again? Oh, we're not censoring him. So why have you taken the episodes down? It's crazy. It really is. I understand why they're doing it because somebody probably threatened to shut them down. It's madness. And people don't get this. The guy is an entertainer. He is not the law. He is not a doctor. He is not a lawyer. So what if some of the stuff wasn't correctly represented? People listening to that show are adults. So they're free to decide whether they want to believe it or not believe it. But you know, I bet your daddy says the same thing. You know, why? Why are people getting so steamed about Joe Rogan? It's crazy, absolute madness. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world that needs to be dealt with. And at the, on my personal list, right at the bottom of that list is Joe Rogan's podcasts. Thank you. This has been amazing. I loved connecting with you, Paul. Thank you so my much. My pleasure, Rita. It's great fun. I love having conversations like this. They're brilliant. I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. I think he has some very interesting points. The fact is, is that he has given us a really little bit of a lesson also of what podcasting is really all about, really about opening up the channels of communication where people have a chance to bypass all of the surrounding stuff, be real, and where you can express yourself. It's connecting people. And that's what is really going on all over the world is where people have a chance to use this tool to connect without going through all the politics and rules of other people. It's a chance to express yourself freely and openly and honestly without strong inhibitance against you. I think that that is really a wonderful vehicle that's being created. A lot of that theme is also part of the Better Call Daddy show, where we want to not only share a communication and share our story, 
but to be able to also hopefully learn from each other and add a few words of wisdom to it. I, I really thought that someone who has experienced real depression, where they would look towards the movies on how to kill yourself, uh, I thought that that was also where the influence of TV can really stir people in the right direction, but can also steer people in the wrong direction. Where he's had these uh, misses has also where he's been able to come through to the understanding that confidence can be built by whatever you want to try and do by practicing it and working at it and not really listening to what other people have to say necessarily, but let your own conscience be your guide and, and to build on it and be able to climb out of, what did he say, a black hole that uh, somebody could just put in their pocket, carry that around with them? Well, release it and say, hey, let's figure out a way that if I want to do something and uh, I don't really care what other people think or say, and I'm going to get better at it by practicing and doing it and experiencing it. And I agree with that as well. Hey, you're getting lots of practice. I sure am. Funny part is, is that a lot of people can relate to somebody that's experienced being in a black hole because a lot of people don't know how or even attempt to climb out of it. Get someone that can do it and wants to be share people's stories and share people's experiences and to try to help others communicate is is a positive thing. And uh, using a podcast to do it, I think, is a, just a very worthwhile tool. I, I think that's why we do it too, is that we are able to learn and grow and uh, the practice hopefully makes us better as well. And hopefully hearing from many, 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 many different people, we can also share those lessons of what we've learned and be able to share it with others as well. And where it's not just about ourselves and we can get a much greater pleasure out of sharing things with others. I thought that in conclusion, when he said that when a person is really trying to kill themselves, isn't that really a person crying out? It's really a selfish thing more than even a hurting thing. It's really where people that are around you are probably affected more. I think we've talked about this before, is that someone who hasn't really been responsible for their own actions and haven't developed or learned or be responsible and feels like they're in a corner are all strung out, don't know if they're coming or going, and they figure, what's the use? I might as well end it all because I just don't feel like I have any value. And the sad part is, is that people that are friends and family, they then think, what could they have done to make things better, where they are, again, enhancing this doubt, this person or persons that are feeling this way, where they're affecting their lives. And instead of them saying, okay, I'm going to stand up and do something is really what your family uh, is hoping and praying that you do. And if you just end it, people that have to live with that result is your family and your friends or your children that you leave behind. They're the ones that are affected by that act. You don't feel a thing. And when you do feel it and you attempt to kill yourself and you feel pain or you feel, God forbid, that something happens to you where you are disabled, and you have more pain, and you say, my gosh, if I knew that, uh, that this thing could fail and I could really hurt myself, I would never do it. And that's showing, again, how a person that is wanted even easy in death, they want to go painless. They want to go where they don't hurt themselves, and yet they don't care about the people around them where they're willing to hurt them. Really quite an ironic twist of fate, isn't it? Wow, it sounds like it really affected you. Well, 
I think that that's a very meaningful lesson in all of this, that people that may feel like crushed and have nowhere to go, really not seeing the big picture. And I like saying that we're only here a short period of time on this earth as it is, as uh, Paul mentions, and we've got to make the best of it. And whatever good things are happening in your life, as well as any bad things that are happening in your life, they pass. And it becomes in different time periods of your life where it doesn't have this, even the same meaning, maybe even a year later or two. I think what he's done also is he's trying very hard to keep positive people around him and trying to help other people that, that want to communicate and, and find themselves. And you don't have to get along with even the members of your own family if they're negative. And as you know, uh, sometimes I have those issues too with certain family members. So the truth of the matter is, is that we can't really let anyone affect us from being positive doers and growing and learning and trying to lead the best message that we can and not let an obstacle or people that are not necessarily in your corner contribute to your own destruction. We can do that on our own. That's the easy way out. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 